Welcome back to Season 1 of Story Sodic, the universe of infinite possibility. In the universe of infinite possibility, anything can and will happen. These stories tell the tales of the worlds in this universe. Now join me in this week's story, A Wind of Sorrow. There are few sounds as interminably sad as the wind in the plains, a dense, omnipotent, moaning howl that echoes deep in the bones of the earth. Morin had grown to know that rumbling sadness over the past eleven years better than the folk songs of his youth. There were days when the only sounds that passed his ears were the crunch of his boots through the dry, dead grass and the desperate song of the wind. He pulled his cloak tighter as he set his eyes forward. The cloak had been dense once. But after nearly a year of constant buffering from the wind, it was thin as a sheet and half as warm. Morin was glad that he was nearly to the end of this year's journey. After seeing to last mill, he would get the glorious pleasure of the long tram ride back to first mill, a euphoric two-day train ride where he could finally rest his well-traveled feet. He could see last mill up ahead on the horizon. The slender white wind turbine resembled an angular flower with its petals turned to the side, facing the oncoming wind. Though he was just under a day's walk away, the mill loomed massive on the horizon. Morin set his feet purposefully each in front of the other, following the path he had walked tenfold. His life was hard on the plain, but at least it had purpose. He paused for a moment and pulled a metal bottle from his belt and took a small swallow of water. He turned and looked back along the path. The last safe house was small in the distance, yet even further on he could see the long line of wind turbines in a perfect row like thin, wispy soldiers. It was a testament to their size that even here, a full five days walking journey away from his most recent mill stop, he could still see the blades of the turbine spinning steadily in the distance. He turned back toward last mill and resumed his steady, comfortable pace. The howling wind whipped at his cloak as he walked, and he tried his best to ignore it. He had almost grown used to the constant assault of the wind over the years of walking the mill path, but sometimes it cut so deep and cried so sad that he remembered the power behind it. That power was the reason he was here, after all. He had been recruited soon after finishing his education by the Natural Resources Division as a maintenance technician. The Natural Resources Division was the sole provider of energy for an empire that spanned 23 planets in three galaxies, and their recruitment package was generous. After 11 years, maintenance technicians were granted a retirement jointly funded by the NRD and the Collegian Empire. As for the work, they promised adventure, travel, and the sort of job satisfaction that only comes with providing energy for the entire populace of the Grand Empire. Morin smirked as he remembered the recruitment promises. He had traveled, yes, but only once, from his small colony on Indus to the outer reaches of the Portex Galaxy. He had been transported to a small moon, far from civilization, whose only purpose was the production of energy through wind transformation. It was, perhaps, the farthest he could have traveled from his home. As for adventure? That depended on your interpretation of the word. If you found walking from one end of the wind farm to another only to restart at the end of the year adventurous, then this was the job for you. Morin, however, found it quite monotonous. Every morning, he would wake up, often before the sun, and eat the meager meal provided by the NRD, usually some sort of synthesized nutrient supplement. Then he would don his cloak and tool belt, take one last look at the safe house in which he had spent the night, and head out the door. 
A full day of walking would lead him to one of two places. Either he would return to another safe house for another fitful night of sleep and bland, filling, synthesized meal, or he would arrive at a mill where he would begin maintenance service. In the first year, it had seemed quite the adventure. Each day would take him to a new place on this satellite far from civilization. Each day would bring him a new experience on the vast plains of this far-flung moon. However, each day that experience would become less and less unique. By the end of his first year, Morin realized why the benefit package for the maintenance technician was so generous. This was a hard, boring, and thankless job. He was alone. He knew that somewhere else on the satellite were other technicians doing a similar job, but their schedules were so rigorous that there was no time to socialize. There was hardly time to do anything other than eat, walk, work, and sleep. By the end of his second year, he had learned that if he increased his walking speed, he would have a little extra time in the evenings when he reached the safe house. He used this extra time to write. Usually it was no more than letters to his mother and father back home, but after a time, he began to write an elaborate fiction. He left these pages in the safe houses, in the drawers of the nightstand the NRD had provided. In year three, when he returned to these stories, he would reread them, often laughing to himself at the little yarns he had spun for himself. In year four, however, the stories had grown stale. He had not been able to keep up the increased pace that allowed him the extra time in the evenings. A mantle of exhaustion hung over him so dense that he was not able to even read the stories most nights. He managed only to do the minimum necessary for his work, eat, walk, work, sleep. He forgot himself for a time, relying only on the constant grueling pace to keep him engaged. He no longer found joy in his work, or his play, and by losing his purpose, he lost himself. It wasn't until sometime in year seven when he finally found himself again. He was between safe houses 35 and 36 when he saw something he had never before seen in the plains. As he bent down to tie the troublesome lace of his left shoe, which always seemed to come undone, he saw next to his feet an egg, small and mottled brown, about the size of his thumb. He picked it up and looked at it. Where had it come from? He looked up. He had never seen any birds in the sky. The winds of the plains were too harsh for most wildlife. It was what made the moon so perfect for the wind farm. With no indigenous wildlife, the NRD could build their farms however they pleased. This small egg, however, led Morin to a list of questions. Was there wildlife here? Did the NRD know? Presence of an indigenous species would cause energy productions to halt until the Wildlife Preservation Commission could relocate the species to a satellite habitat. With this information warm in his pocket, Morin continued his work with a new resolve. He increased his pace, sometimes skipping safe houses altogether. He managed to finish a year's worth of work a week early, riding the tram back to the NRD base station with an anxious beat in his heart. Once he arrived at the station, he went straight to the division communication terminal. He told the operator at Central what he had found. He placed the egg in a transport module and sent it down into a tube. The operator told Mora not to worry about this. If they had found anything on the planet, it had already been relocated. It was more likely he had found a funny rock than an egg. It would be best to get back to work. The communication fizzled out, and Morin stood looking at the screen, dejected. He turned around and began the long journey of year eight. That had been nearly four years ago, and the word still stung. Of course nothing had come of it. There had not been any sort of communication on his last visits to the base station. The wind of these last few years had somehow seemed sadder even than before. The sun had begun to set, and he was nearing last mill. He sighed a deep sigh, echoing the sentiment of the wind. At least it was his last cycle. After this, he would finally be able to return home. He wondered what had changed. Would they recognize him? These thoughts filled his mind as he reached the door to Last Mill and opened it. He halted, blinking his eyes. The exhaustion must be playing tricks on him. He could almost swear he had seen... As he flipped the lights on, he scrambled backward. 
He had not been able to make out the shape in the dark, but the light revealed something he had not seen for over eleven years. In the middle of the near-empty room of the mill stood a person. Or perhaps it wasn't a person. Its fingers were a shred too long, and its eyes a mite too large. Its skin was a warm pink, and it wore a robe of dark gray. It blinked furiously when the light came on, and jumped at Morin's sudden arrival, but it did not run away. Morin regained his feet, and cautiously took a step toward the door. The creature tilted its head to the side, and blinked curiously. Um, hello? What? I, I mean, who are you? Morin's voice quavered with fear and excitement. He had not had contact with anyone other than the crackling voice of the operator at Central for over a decade. The creature blinked again and leaned its head down as it produced a quiet, Hello? Morin's heart leapt. Could this creature speak? He knew that the Empire's common speech had been evangelized throughout the star system in its early years, but he had never heard of a humanoid civilization on anywhere other than the central star system. Morin took another step into the mill. It's alright, little one, there's nothing to fear. The creature took a step back as Morin entered and let out a soft, sad whistle. It reminded him of the wind. Where did you come from? Morin's mind was reeling. How had the Natural Resources Division not realized there was sentient life on this moon? There was an entire subsector devoted to satellite analysis. They scanned for life on each planet before building their farms. He did not understand how it could have been possible for an entity with enough power to sustain an empire to overlook something like this. The creature bent its head and blinked again before speaking. Home? I come from home? Its eyes darted to the back door of the mill. Morin took a deep breath. It did, in fact, speak Empire Common. It was halting and broken, but it spoke. Can you show me home? Can you take me? Morin's heart was pounding in his chest and throat. The creature blinked, and then its face broke into what could only be a smile. Its mouth was filled with thin, sharp teeth. It hopped in place in an unmistakable, excited dance. Show home? Show home! Follow! It turned and hopped toward the back door opening it and turning to Morin, beckoning for him to follow. He did, grabbing a few of the nutrient supplement bars off the dining table. It was dark outside. The sun had set completely in the few minutes since he had arrived at the mill. For a time, the creature followed the path that led to the tram. Just before they arrived at the station, however, it made a sharp turn off the path. Morin followed, pushing his way through the tall grass. The creature seemed to have no problem finding its way in the dark, but regularly turned around to make sure Morin was still behind. It made intermittent hoots and whistles, echoing the odd mournful sound of the wind. They crested a hill, and Morin lost his footing, sliding the rough twenty feet to the bottom. The creature was at his side before he realized what had happened, wrapping its long, slender fingers around his arm and helping him up. Its eyes glowed an eerie yellow in the dark of the night. Careful. Follow. Careful. It said to him with an almost reproachful tone in its voice. Seeing that Morin was back on his feet and stable, it hopped in an excited circle before setting off again. Morin dusted off his thin cloak and laughed at the ridiculousness of the situation. He had spent nearly eleven years on this seemingly desolate moon, thinking that the only people on it were the other maintenance technicians. What would the others at the NRD say when he told them of this? He only hoped they would believe him. After a solid hour of winding through the grass and short hills, the creature stopped. It turned to Morin, bent its head in a small bow, and whispered, Home. Morin squinted through the darkness at what appeared to be a large hill. The creature moved toward the hill and disappeared. Morin tried to follow, but he could not see where his friend had gone. The creature's head popped out of the side of the hill, and with a soft whistle it beckoned Morin in. As he followed, Morin noticed the hole in the side of the hill was covered with a long grass. 
clearly meant to camouflage the entrance from curious strangers. He moved along a slender, downward-spiraling tunnel, just large enough to pass through. His guide led the way, clicking and whistling as it walked. After a while, the tunnel leveled and widened into a massive cavern. It was dark, and Warren could not see very well, but the walls of the cavern sparkled with movement. He thought he could see more glimmering yellow eyes like those of the creature. It turned to him and cracked a sharp, toothy grin. Home, it said, gesturing with its arm. At its word, the room around whistled with the sound of hundreds of creatures breathing and calling out a sad song like the wind. The creature led Morin to a crude table and chair in the center of the large cavern. On the table was a plate, and what Morin could only guess was some kind of cooked meat. His mouth watered. He had had nothing but the synthesized nutrient supplements in over a decade. He sat at the table, and the creature's head was suddenly close to his own. Eat, it whispered, its long-fingered hands settling on the table next to the meal. Morin's stomach pulled at him, and he found himself reaching for the food without thinking of it. The smile on the creature's face grew impossibly wider, and the room around him seemed to spin. The mournful whistling became louder and closer, and Morin could feel something touching his shoulder. The room pressed in on him now. Hundreds of yellow eyes grew closer and closer, and a sharp pain shot through his left arm. But he could not move. He looked desperately for his guide, his friend. And suddenly it was face to face with him, saliva dripping out of its mouth, its needle-sharp teeth glistening in the light from the eyes of hundreds of hungry creatures, and it uttered one last phrase. We eat. Thank you for listening to Story Sodic, an episodic storytelling podcast focused on exploratory world building through character growth. This story was written and narrated by me, Max Nolan Young. Special thanks to Angel Wing at Excel Music Publishing for the use of our theme song, The Nymphaeum Part 5. You can find new episodes of Story Sodic and all Dryersock production podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. We don't pay for any advertising, and word of mouth is the best way for our stories to reach new ears. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter at StorySodic. That's Story, S-O-D-I-C. Thanks for exploring with us, and be safe out there. Brought to you by Dryer Sock Productions. Pop that pizza pie in the oven, baby. We're about to start a podcast.